Good morning. This is literally the best day of the year, and we are blessed. Try to make it easier for a blind guy to read. All right. Uh, I'm going to start out in John 3.12. We're going to get into this because, well, I don't want to want to keep you all day. So it says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, for God did not send His Son into the world to, the, to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You, Lord, that You love us so much that You would send Your Son. Jesus, we thank You for dying for us. Father God, I pray as we go through, through this Word, Lord, that You would just speak to our hearts, Lord, that we'd be prepared to receive what you have for us, Lord. And that at the end, Lord, we would know your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'm going to have to jump around in my notes because the Lord started showing me different things. But the the title of this message today is The Greatest Love Story Ever? Question mark. Right? Which you're probably thinking, on Easter, really, that's a cheesy name. But wait until the end and... uh Then you can tell me how cheesy we are. Uh, So I was actually thinking of, after that came to me, I was trying to think of like love stories, like films, movies that are out there. They're great love stories. And it's going to be hard for a lot of you to believe believe this, but I didn't know very many. Like I knew Romeo and Juliet, and I knew Shrek and Fiona, which I think is actually probably the same story, right? But I remembered that, so... So I looked them up. I was like, all right, what are some great like love stories in film, right? And there's a bunch of names I never heard of. Uh, I did hear of Pride and Prejudice. That's one of the tops for everybody. And I know you you ladies love that. Yeah, it's a I guess it is a classic. I've never seen it. But it uh Love stories Love stories are from the beginning of time, right? They They've always been there, and as I'm looking through this list, I was reminded, like, way down of the true greatest, like, love story film ever made, and that was The Princess Bride, right? Greatest ever. It has everything in it. It has love. It has action. I mean, it's sword fighting in it. It has comedy, and it has Andre the Giant, right? That's all you need for a love story right there, right? You have that. You never need to make another one. You can watch it over and over, right? I mean, you put Andre the Giant in anything, somehow it gets better, even if he can't act. You're just like, I like that guy, right? That's just the way it is. But, you know, we we watched that film, and uh, it kind of actually, that film probably changed a lot of the way movies were made. A lot of times it uh, used to romance movies were more like men would watch them, and they're like, Ah, I hope we never watch that again. And women are like, I just want to snuggle. Right? But after that film, 
Women were still like, I want to snuggle. And men like, I hope somebody breaks into my house so I can cut their head off for my wife. Right? It comes like, and, and women, you may not know this, but there's not a man in this place who hasn't daydreamed about whooping a man for their woman. Or for somebody. We daydream about that. Like if something comes down, this is what's going to happen. And I always think we're probably more like the little, like you remember uh, Tom and Jerry. And Tom would sit there and provoke that dog over and over. And the dog would be at the chain. He couldn't get off of the chain. And Tom was tough until that dog got loose. And then Tom took off running. You know, that's what I always think we probably would be like. Like if somebody came in here right now, I'm taking them out. Unless they're really big and then I'm running, right? That's our kind of thought process. But, but men and women have a different idea of a good love story. Men are, we want to fight. Like, we have to stand up for what we think is good, right? We're going to stand up for a woman. We're going to stand up for a child. We're going to stand up for people. And women are like, I just want to comfort them. I want to nurture them, right? There's a difference in that. And women still have that thought process. Somebody mess with my man or my child or something like that, I'll bite his head off, right? There's still that same thought process. And uh, so... Being the guy who knows a whole lot about love films, I figured I might want to go ahead and look it up, see what makes a great love story, right? Uh, according to the New York Times article, which is probably made up like everything else by the New York Times, but the the nine things you need for a great love story, right? It uh, starts out with a hero, and I think that's true because when you think about us, Women always love a hero, and men always want to be a hero. Right? That's just the way it is, right? The next one is a match. There has to be a match made. If a man is pursuing a woman, and the woman doesn't want the man, it just becomes creepy. It's not a love story anymore, right? There has to be discord. There has to be some kind of disagreement. There has to be something that catches people's attention of, like, it's not just cheesy. There has to be something there, right? And there uh, has to be some suffering. Because we know in a film that doesn't have suffering, you're going to turn it off eventually because you're like, well, I don't even get this, this, this show, this movie. There needs to be a tragedy in a good one, in a really good love story. There's some kind of tragedy. There's some kind of sacrifice. Somebody's sacrificing something. And hopefully it's not like animals. Uh, passion. There has to be passion, right? I think they're probably thinking more of like a good like love scene, right? But we know passion as something worth suffering for, right? What would you be willing to suffer for? That's your passion. There has to be a reality to it. Now, you're thinking like, I've watched Shrek and Fiona. There's nothing real about that. They're cartoon characters. But it has to be something relatable that you can relate to. Something that's like, oh, yeah, that's, that could be real. That, I understand that part. Right, And then there has to be some kind of twist. To be a really good love story, there has to be a twist in the end. Because if, you, if it's so predictable all the way through, you're like, I, I got nothing out of that. Right, So that's what the New York Times tells you is a good love story. And uh, I don't know if it's true or not, but we're going to go with it. Was it seven? So maybe I lied to you. Maybe there was only seven. Oh, no. No, that's Nine. Hero, the match, discord, suffering, tragedy, sacrifice, passion, reality, and the twist. So, with that said, we're going to Matthew 26. And uh, 
what is often seen as the greatest love story of all time we know is Jesus and his love for us. But I want to look at that. And we know that God created man and woman in beginning. And he loved us and he spent time with us and he created us because he loved us. And then we turned on him. Right? We sinned. And then there's that separation. And, and Jesus wasn't okay with that. We know that. We know Jesus the whole time wanted us back. He wanted his love back. And uh, so we're going to talk about that story and how that really does, could become the greatest love story of all time, or it may not be. We're going to see. Matthew twenty six thirty says, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And here he is already telling them, I am going to die. But then when I come back, I'll see you in Galilee. And yet they still don't get it, right? They're like, they would be like me. They would be like, I don't even know what he's talking about here. You're going to die, but you're going to meet us in Galilee. So I guess you're just going to meet us in Galilee. You mean something different about you're going to be struck down. I don't know. That's what I would have thought. I would have been confused by the whole thought process. And then you go down to verse 36, and it says, uh, this is when Jesus is preparing, and he said, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which were John and James, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And that that word watch with me, actually, probably more fitting would be stay awake with me. Right? Stay awake with me. Watch with me. Right? And, uh... And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you cannot watch with me one hour? And I I, I like this part, that he, he comes to Peter and says it. He didn't go to all three of them and say it. He went to Peter, the one who just said, I... I even when everybody else falls away, I won't. So he's kind of reiterating to him, trying to, I think, let him know, like, hey, man, you've already fallen asleep. You know, Peter should have probably thought, like, maybe I will fall away. I keep falling asleep, right? But that's who he goes to. He goes to Peter and tells him. And he said, uh, watch and pray. Or he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And I think back to that greatest love film ever made, The Princess Bride. And as soon as the man's out of the picture, the woman's already, like, confused, right? She don't know what to do. And I think that's kind of where this comes, right? When Jesus is out of the picture and they're not watching and praying, something happens, right? They're let, they're, there's all this stuff. They don't know what to do anymore because they're not watching and praying. They didn't, they didn't figure it out. And uh, 
He says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And uh, Keith and I actually had a long talk about this Tuesday night, but the the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak is uh, very important for us to remember that, that the Holy Spirit is always willing. He's always wanting to be close to Jesus. He's always ready to do the next thing. It's our flesh that holds him back, right? The, the actual picture here is as, as the Holy Spirit trying to pull us and our flesh is like a dead weight is the picture there. And that's what he's telling him here. The Holy Spirit's willing. You're just being weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My Father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And uh, I love this part of what Jesus is doing. He is pointing out that anything we will ever go through, no matter how hard it is, it is okay not to want to do it. It is okay to struggle with it. It is okay to say, Lord, I don't want to do this. I mean, he was sweating blood. He was so uh, so conflicted, so so sorrowful. And they say it takes a whole different kind of anxiety and stress to be able to sweat blood. I don't know. I've never been there. But here he is doing this, but then he says, Lord, not my will, but yours. He's pretty much saying, whatever it takes, I'll do it, Lord. I just wish it was a little easier, right? That's like me when I pray and I say, God, do whatever it takes to to keep me close to you. Do whatever you need to do. But then my next prayer usually is, as long as it ain't that hard, right? And uh, I've learned over time period to leave the if it's not that hard part off, but used to I would not. I did not want to go through the harder stuff. Then he says, um, then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And we know, I'm going to paraphrase a whole lot of stuff, because you go through that awesome story, we can be here a long time. You can read that, and hopefully you have been reading that on your own. But at this point, we know Judas betrays him. We know that they come up and they take Jesus captive, and Peter... Now he's awake, and he cuts a man's ear off because he finally woke up. And it, uh, He's being that man, you know, I'm going to protect whoever, and he's trying to be a hero, and he's cutting off an ear, and Jesus is like, no, that ain't how we're doing this. And he puts the ear back on. And we know that he goes in front of, uh, in front of Pilate. And one of the greatest things that we ever hear out of that is whenever He says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, what you say is truth. And then Pilate's like, what is truth? What is truth, right? And uh, that is always a very important question to ask. What is truth? And and, uh, a phrase that's been coming to me here lately a whole lot over and over, and I shared it yesterday at men's group is, is that 
feelings and emotions pass. How you feel about something, you know, the, the internal thing, what, whatever it is, your, your feelings and emotions will pass, but truth never does, right? Your feelings will change. How you feel about something may change from day to day. Whether you're happy or sad each day is always going to change, but what never changes is the truth, right? That never changes. And, and even though Pilate still didn't understand the truth, Jesus said what he said was true, and that is that he is the king of the Jews. Everything about Jesus is always true. It never changes. Rather, one day we question if he loves us. Rather, one day we question if we're saved. Rather, one day we question something else or we don't feel like doing the Christian thing or we don't feel like this or we're sad or we're going through a rough time. It doesn't matter what we're going through. The truth is still the truth. It, does never, it never changes. And then we know that Jesus is flogged. We know he's beat to within an inch of his life and he's beaten more than any man has ever been beaten. He's mocked. He's ridiculed. The, the hair on his face is being ripped out. I don't even know how hard that, like, it would take a lot to rip a man's beard out of his face. And they're doing it. And he's going through every bit of that. Still with the thought process, he can give up any time he wanted. He could give up at any time. He could stop at any time. And he's going through it. And uh, he's so weak he can't even carry his own cross. They have to get another man to help him carry his cross. He is beaten. He's bruised. They say you can see you could have seen his ribs. Like I've never been beaten so bad you can see my ribs. Like literally, not like I'm skinny and you can see my ribs through my like through the skin. No, like you can physically see his ribs. He was beaten that bad. And he did it because of us. And you know, Scripture says that before, uh, before we knew him, even when we were still sinners, he died on a cross for our sins. And a lot of times people are like, well, I wasn't even born. Then he definitely died on your cross for your sins before, while you were still a sinner. Because he did it way before you were even born. And he did all this with the hope that one day we would receive him as our Savior. Right? He is going to the cross for that purpose and that purpose only. Right? And so he's on the cross, and we know the stories of the two thieves on each side. We know that Barabbas was released instead of him. We know that Barabbas was, at the least, a horrible thief, but probably even a murderer. He was probably uh, leading a revolt. It's probably what Barabbas was doing. And people did not like Barabbas, but because of their anger and their, their not wanting of Jesus Christ, they asked for Jesus Barabbas. Right? And uh, that's who they want. They don't want Jesus Christ in this moment. He's on the cross. He forgives one of the, the thieves on the cross. The other one never... Never gets it. He's, he's up there dying the same death as Jesus Christ, mocking him, making fun of him. And I'm thinking, like, if you are dying and you're still mocking Jesus Christ, you have a hard heart. 
I don't care if you're mocking anybody who's going through the same thing you are whenever you're on a cross. You've probably got some evil in you, right? But Matthew 27, verse 45, he's on the cross and it says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. So this would have been about noon to three. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, Lemay, Sabachthani. I can't pronounce that. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this would have been the first time in all of eternity. The first time ever, like before time existed, for a time period we can't even fathom in our brains. This would have been the first time that that God the Father and God the Son were not one. And the reason why is because sin is what separates us. Sin separates us from, from the Father. And so here Jesus is, he took all of our sins onto the cross. On that moment when all the sins were heaped upon him, he'd felt the separation from his Father for the very first time. And it crushes him. Right, I actually think that's what kills him. The heartbreak, the heartache of that. Right, like if you've known Jesus and you've been close to Jesus, in that moment you just can't feel like His presence. It hurts. You're like, why am I not feeling you? Imagine if you've never felt anything but a perfect version of that, and then it's all heaped upon Him in one moment. Right, I just can't imagine it. And some of the bystanders. Hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. Kind of dumbfounds me a little bit. Like, here's these people killing him. They got him up on a cross. They believe he's lying about to be in the Messiah, but there's still some, some questions in them of, wait a minute, maybe he is. Maybe he is calling Elijah, which tells me there's still some questions there like, man, we could really be messing up. You know, it's kind of like whenever they split the atom, you know, they're going to split the atom and they say, hey, this could go one or two ways. Either we're going to, it's going to go well or we're going to destroy the whole world. And they did it anyway. And that's kind of what they're doing with Jesus. They're like, we don't think he's the Messiah, but there's a possibility he is. And they went ahead and killed him. Right? And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. I like that because they didn't take his life. He gave his life. It says he yielded it up. Right? He didn't die. He gave his spirit up. And behold, the curtains of the temple were torn in two. From top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. They went into the holy city and appeared to many. Right? And Jason talked about that curtain tearing last week in Evansville. And it, uh, there's a point in time where you couldn't walk into the presence of God, you didn't have that access. The moment Jesus died on the cross and took our sins and paid for them, we now have that access. That'd be enough. That would be enough right there that we have access to God the Father. 
that would be more than enough, right? And I like this part. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs. I I tell you what, if I'm near a, a, a graveyard and there starts getting bodies up out of the grave, there ain't no hero in this boy. I'm out of there. I'm thinking like something crazy is going on here. I've missed something, right? I'm out of there. I'm, I'm thinking guns ain't going to help in that situation. Could be wrong, but I don't think they will be. And here's the thing is, like when I read that, I think like these guys have been dead for a lot of years, some of them, thousands of years. And I'm thinking they should be bones, but they recognized them. They knew it was Moses, right? They knew who the people were coming up, so they had to be in the flesh. They had to be recognizable somehow. That blows my mind. But it's also good news, right? It's good news. All right, where am I at here? When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Imagine that day. Imagine you just killed Jesus Christ and now you realize, uh uh-oh, he was who he said he was. I don't know that, I've had some bad days at times. I've never had a day that bad. I've never had a day so bad that I realized I just killed Jesus Christ. Not until I was saved, right? And then we go into verse 62 after he's already been put into the tomb and we know they had to rush through it because it's the Passover and there's all this other stuff going on and and he's uh <laughs> they they start to get it a little bit but I don't even know if the apostles got it yet but those who killed him I think are starting to understand some stuff they're starting to realize uh-oh this is either this is real or there's a story these guys are really pressing that may come true here and they say it says in verse 62 and the next day this that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Let his disciples go and, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing it, sealing the stone and setting a guard. And here they are is like, all right. So now this isn't even the, the centurions and stuff who are now thinking like, this guy may be who he says he is. This is the Pharisees still saying, we don't get it. We still don't believe. So we don't want to be, we don't want to be bamboozled here. We don't want these these apostles to be able to come and do whatever they want to do here. We don't want them to be able to do, steal this body and make a bigger mockery of us, right? And I think, wow, you guys still don't get it. Then in Matthew 28, here's the best part of the story. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing like white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. There goes back to those brave, heroic men, you know, we're like, we're, you see an angel, you're going to faint. <laughs> I, might, I can't imagine how scared they were at that moment. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. That's, that's the best. He is not here, for he is risen, as he had said. Boy, that's a good scripture. Come see the place where he laid. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. And so we started out talking about his story of how he did that. How he said, I am going to go and die. And in a few days later, you'll just meet me in Galilee. And he did exactly that. Right? And I read that story and I think about how powerful that is. But then when you go and read John's account, you see that as the women get there, they go and they tell Peter and John, and John has to make sure you well, Peter and the one whom Jesus loves, as John likes to call himself. You see that they have a foot race there, and John got to point out that he beat Peter. I think he put that in there just because men like to point out that we're victorious, and he figured for all of eternity, everybody will always know I beat you, Peter. And... uh but then Peter's probably up there in heaven saying, yeah, but when we got there, you wouldn't even walk in because you were not as manly as me, and I walked right in. But it says they walk in, and they see the grave clothes, and they see the the face covering, the linen, the, the prayer shawl thing folded up and sitting there. And some people say you can even still see the, the imprint of his face on it. But the way they knew that he had to be alive in that moment is... There's a certain way that every man, every woman who has a prayer shawl in that time period that would fold their prayer shawls. They had a special way to, pray, to fold it. That way, whenever, wherever you're at, you can recognize yours by the way it's folded. And when they walk in, Jesus' stuff is all folded the way Jesus would always fold it. Right? They knew he had done what he had said he had done. Yet they're still confused, right? And uh, I'm not going to drag this out much more, but uh, I am going to go back to that New York Times article of what makes a great love story. You need a hero, and we got that. We have the greatest hero of all time. He defeated sin and death. Anybody ever watched a movie where they defeat sin and death? I haven't. We can't even write a hero that good. We can't even make one up that good, and this is the real deal, right? You need the match. We have Jesus and we have mankind. 
But there has to be a match. Jesus did his part, but what about the match? Right? This is where it comes a question mark as if this is truly the greatest love story ever or not. It comes down to if the match receives it, if the match returns the love, if the match accepts that love. As I said, it's really creepy if the man is pursuing the woman and the woman wants nothing to do with him. It becomes a creepy story. And this is only a great love story is if the match receives it. That is the only reason why this becomes the greatest love story ever. Otherwise, it's the greatest tragedy ever. We have one or the other, either the greatest tragedy or the greatest love story. And it comes down to our hearts and what we do, right? You have to have some discord, some kind of disagreement. I'm going to say, you can look at that story and see all kinds of disagreement, but the disagreement started back in Genesis 3 when man turned on God and began to sin, right? There was a great disagreement. He wanted to love us forever for us to be with him, and we wanted to choose our own way over him, right? Suffering. There is great suffering, right? Not only did he suffer for our sins, but we've been suffering ever since we made that decision, right? Suffering is not a problem in our love story. There's a great... You can... You can turn your head anywhere and see the suffering in the love story. It has to be a tragedy. We killed the only perfect person to ever live on this earth. That should be a tragedy. By worldly standards, that would be a tragedy, right? We also have the tragedy of we were one with God and then we weren't, right? We were worthy of death. It has to be sacrifice. And in a, in, a, in a great love film, the sacrifice would be, I'm giving up what I want for you, or I'm doing this. Jesus is the greatest sacrifice to ever live. There's no better sacrifice than that. But then there has to be us sacrificing our lives. Giving up what we want to be with Him. Right? There has to be sacrifice. Passion. Ooh. Passion is being willing to suffer for something you love, right? And Jesus did that. He said, God, I don't want to do it. But your will be done, not mine. And he went through the greatest suffering of all time. And then when it comes to us, we're, we're able to be passionate about some stuff. You may be passionate about your favorite band or your favorite sports team or, you know, your show you got to get home to watch. Or you may give up some stuff for for the things you're passionate about, but what have you been willing to actually go through for Jesus? Where is your passion for Jesus? Not to just say, oh, I love Jesus, I'm grateful that he's my Savior, but what would you really be willing to suffer through for Jesus? Right? Reality. It has to be relatable. If you've ever went through uh, the Truth Project, you find out that truth is reality as it pertains to God. And whenever we look at reality and is it relatable, reality is just anything that lines up with God, right? And this story is the most real story ever told. 
Everything else is just going to pass away. Everything on this earth that you go through, every story you have on earth will pass away. They will fade away because this world's going to be gone and all that's with it is going to be gone. But this story will never fade away. It's the most real thing ever, right? And then there's the twist. Show me a twist better than a man dying, going to hell and three days later rising and going to heaven and saying, hey, you're coming with me. Find a better twist than that, right? It's the greatest love story ever. And Tracy, you can come on up. And uh, I'm about to pray. But I'm going to close this in a way that you don't expect usually on a on an Easter Sunday, and this is a scripture that's been coming to me over and over all week. And uh, as I said, a great love story has to have a match. Right? And in John 6, verse 25, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. Keith knew this was coming because I told him the other day. <laughs> but it, uh, he just fed the 5,000. He took a couple fish and a couple barley loaves, fed 5,000 people, Sounds like probably the greatest meal ever when you hear these people talking, right? And then you come to John 6, verse 25, and he says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now I will say, they had went to the other side of the sea waiting for him. The disciples left in a boat, and they knew he was still back on the other side, and he walks out, right, on water, gets in the boat, then they said he's transfigured. If you looked at the actual form, the story is like he teleports from where he's at and immediately in Capernaum is what it says if you study this. And they're like, Rabbi, when did you come here? Now these people were on the other side and they realized he never came, so they go find him. And said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. If that's me, and I'm the greatest hero of all time, I'm telling you, well, you know, I walked on the sea, I calmed this great storm, and then we just went ahead and teleported over to Capernaum, and we've been here ever since. That's what I would have said. But Jesus knows us. They don't really care about that. They don't even care about what he did when he fed the 5,000. All they're worried about is the food they ate what he said you I say to you you are seeking me not because you saw signs because you ate your fill of the loaves do not work for food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give to you for in him God the father has set his seal then they said to him we must what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, This is the work of God that you believe in Him who has sent me. So they said to Him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna from the wilderness. In the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat and Jesus said to them truly 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 I say to you it was not Moses who gave you bread gave them bread from heaven but my father gives the true bread from heaven 
for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. in this great love story sometimes we can we can get distracted by the signs we can get distracted by wanting what God can give us right when I got saved at 12 years old all I knew was they said hey give your life to Christ or you're going to hell and I said I don't want to go to hell so I said a prayer three weeks in a row I went up to say a prayer so I wouldn't go to hell having no idea what that actually means I just knew I wanted to not go to hell it wasn't until I was older that I realized the true goal, the true, the true gift is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the gift, right? Not going to hell is just a sign. Going to heaven is just a sign. Him dying on the cross is just a sign. Him raising out of the grave is just a sign of who He is. The gift is Him. That's what makes us the greatest love story ever is we get to be one with our with our God. We get to be one with the Father. We get to be one with the Son. And God the Father orchestrated that love story so He can have us for eternity. Not so He can do stuff for us. Not so He can provide all of our needs. He'll do that stuff. That's, that's secondary. But if He does everything in the world for you and yet you still miss who He is, it's a tragedy. It's a tragedy. And I hear people all the time saying, Lord, we just need to see miracle signs and wonders. Why? Why do you need to see miracle signs and wonders? Why do we need to see healing poured out everywhere? Why do we need to see something so great that nobody can question it's God? The miracle signs and wonders point to God. But if we have this opportunity to receive Jesus Christ right now, and we pursue Jesus Christ, you know what? That's enough. And then if he wants to pour out some miracle signs and wonders, guess what? I'll rejoice with you. Let's not be seeking what Jesus can do for us. Let's seek Jesus. Let's make this the greatest love story ever. That match. I don't know about you, but if anybody's willing to go through what he went through for me, Oh, nothing better. Nothing better. So I'm going to pray. If you need prayer, we're here. Hopefully you'll just be grateful and praising and thanking. That's what today's about. It's about Him. It's about us having that relationship. It's about us getting to say that I do to the marriage, right? That's what today's about. It's about Him. It's about us with Him. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. 
God, I thank you that you have written the greatest love story ever. Father God, I pray you would search our hearts. That you would remind us, God, of just how good you are to us and how much you love us and how you're better than anything we could ever receive. Heaven, Lord, would be hell without you. So, Father God, I pray as we go through this day, Lord, that we would be reminded of how much you love us, all that you've done for us, and how we get to be a part of the greatest love story ever, Lord, if we just receive. Jesus, thank you for all you've done for us. Thank you for loving us so much that you would do anything for us. We're so grateful, Lord, that you are risen. We're so grateful we get to spend eternity with you forever, Lord. And most importantly, we're just so grateful for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My story is the greatest love story ever told. And I love sharing it with people because I love to see their response whenever I share my story with them. Mike's gone so I can talk about him. And uh, If you ever hear Mike share his love story with Jesus Christ, don't seem, you never walk away untouched. I've seen people like completely transformed by hearing that story. The true love story. And every day people hear stories of tragedies. There's no hero. There's no love. But today we have the opportunity. We're going to be around people. We're going to be in places that people don't know the greatest love story ever. So you get to share yours with them. I promise you, the more we share our greatest love story ever with people, we'll start seeing this world change. There becomes hope. They begin understanding there's something better. There's true love out there. There's something more real than what they're going through. Let's not hide it. If Hollywood had a story this good, they would share it. They'd put it everywhere. They would market that thing greater than anything's ever been marketed ever. Usually they're marketing tragedies. But as Christians, we need to share that story. I'm going to pray and uh, love you all. Father God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. Thank you for this great story you've given us. Thank you, Lord, that we get to share it with others. So, Father God, as we walk out today, Father God, I pray we would always be reminded of what you've done for us who you are, Lord, and that we get to spend eternity with you, Lord. And not just in the future, but it starts now. God, give us boldness to share our story everywhere we go. And let people see the greatest love story ever told. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.